Welcome to Tell Me More Live, the recorded version of our live storytelling night at the Push Comedy Theater in Norfolk, Virginia. In this recording, the theme of the night was kindness, and Kate Patterson Baldwin shared a story about the healing gift of music from a stranger. Um, I was a I was a pretty awkward, insecure teenager, which doesn't really um, make me different from most teenagers, except for my awkward, insecure stage lasted for a really long time. Um, and so that led me to make uh, a number of colorful um, explorations into things that would make me feel less awkward and less insecure, uh, specifically alcohol and relationships, neither of which work for those of you that are still dabbling. Um, you have to figure out yourself first. But um, one of those relationships ended up being uh, a husband, a uh, great guy. I just was not ready to be a wife, unfortunately. But um, so I got married, and I was, uh, pretty, I was still unhappy. It didn't solve my problems. But thank goodness I did end up stumbling into a yoga class, which uh, it didn't really take the first time that I, I practiced. But after a few different uh, classes, I was totally hooked And although I don't think I recognized it at the time, um, yoga gave me something where for someone like myself who I struggled with like body image and size and weight for a really long time, that yoga gave me the opportunity to really work with my body where I wasn't um, trying to be something other than whatever I was. It was like acknowledging your strengths and just working with what you've got. And it was kind of profound. And so I became a teacher, and um, it just, I, I couldn't get enough yoga. I, I was taking workshops, and I was going to festivals and conferences, and I ended up going to a conference in Florida where I practiced with a teacher that uh, was based in Los Angeles. And um, this class was unlike anything I'd ever experienced up to that point. Um, here I was doing hot yoga, which is amazing, but it, it stayed pretty on the physical level. And there are lots of mirrors in hot yoga rooms where you're always you're focusing heavily on alignment. And in this particular class, the lights were dimmed, our eyes were closed, and we were going through asana or yoga postures, but it had nothing to do with what we looked like. It was purely experiential. And uh, at the same time, the teacher was also, uh, he was playing an instrument called a harmonium, which is kind of like an accordion. You pump air into the side of it, and there's keys like an organ So it has a deep kind of vibrating, resonating sound that is the perfect accompaniment for some sort of like inner experience. So this this class was uh, mind-blowing for me. And uh, I went home after the weekend and just wanted as much of this teacher as I possibly could have. So I I flew to L.A. and, and did a training with him for a few weeks. And then a year later, when I received an email invitation to go with him to India, I jumped at the chance. And just to give you a time frame, I was 29 years old. This was in like 2007 or 8. And my marriage had gone from a slow, like, dissolving to a very rapid crumble. So India was definitely where I was going. And uh, so I don't, if maybe you guys have been there before. For me, I was like sheltered American white girl. So going to India could not have been further out of my comfort zone. Um, when I got off the plane, your, your, your senses are assaulted in like the best and worst of ways. And I don't know what hits you first. I think it's the smell. It's like it's food and spices and body odor and exhaust and um, 
feces like from animals. I mean, it's, it's insane. And then you see chaos. You see buses and rickshaws and so many people. And you see beggars and three-legged dogs and cows and a woman in the corner in a full sari doing some sort of religious ceremony. And it's like, you don't even know what to think. And you hear horns and it's, it's, it's overload. And the night that I arrived, the, the taxis happened to be on strike, which just made it crazy. But uh, my teacher met me there with the driver and took us to the first, uh, the first location on our trip, which was called Ayurvedagram. And it's an Ayurvedic clinic where we were going to spend the first 10 days studying Ayurveda, which is a, a sister science to yoga. And it was amazing. It was like nice to decompress. It was like a village. We ate really healthy food. We did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, Met with Ayurvedic doctors who solved the world's problems uh, for me, maybe, maybe not. But um, he, uh, or so while we're there, a couple people were getting sick. Uh, I didn't get sick, but it's like that typical, you know, 24 hour, you eat something that wasn't washed properly and you get sick and then you recover. And fortunately, up to that point, I was fine. And then after we, we were there for about 10 days, we flew to Delhi and uh, where we were going to get a bus that would drive us to the second half of our trip. Because the purpose of our trip was my teacher was teaching at the very first international yoga conference to take place in Rishikesh, which is a village that was made really popular by the Beatles. That's where they had their kind of spiritual awakening. And so that's where we were going. But it was a 12-hour bus ride from Delhi to Rishikesh. And driving in um, India... For someone like me that likes to be on the right side of the road, and I like to go maybe two miles over the speed limit, and I like order, um, India is terrifying because you almost have a head-on collision every 10 seconds. It's terrifying. I don't, like, they say only God can run that country because there is no obvious order anywhere. And so I spent a lot of time looking out the windows and trying not to focus on the buses that were coming straight for us, but... And it's important to acknowledge what you see when you look out the window. Out of one side, you see a family on a moped of, like, seven. I might be exaggerating a little bit. It's like, five. And there's a baby on the lap of a driver and a cow strapped to the back of the mom. And then you look out the right side window, and there's a guy on a moped, and I kid you not, who's resting a ladder on his shoulders, like, 12, six foot forward, six foot back, and his head's just sticking up between the rungs, and he's driving. And you're like, so many things are wrong with that. Like, how? I don't even, it does, it, mind-blowing. So, but then there's another thing that I saw um, on the bus ride up that was, I mean, really special, because I grew up kind of, like, I grew up Christian, but we weren't a really devout family. We just did it, you know, went on the holidays and stuff. And, and so all along uh, the road, you'd see men walking with, um, a stick over their shoulders and buckets on each end. And they were making their maybe once in a lifetime, maybe they get to do it more than once, pilgrim to the Ganges, which is this sacred river in the Hindu religion and actually in all of India. And so some people walk for, I mean, a month on foot to the river to collect water in these buckets and take it back to their home so it can sit on their mantle and bless their family. And the interesting thing is the buckets can never touch the ground. So all along the road, there are little pit stops for the men to sleep on the side of the road and hang their, their sticks up so that the waters can stay off the ground. It's, it was an expression of faith that I'd never seen, and it was profound, to say, the, to say the least, to see people that were just that dedicated. And 
It opened my eyes to something. But then there's another side, and I'm almost to the kindness part, but there, the other side is so we're, this is actually not kind at all, so it's, I don't know how it made its way in, but it did. So we're driving through a, um, a festival, and there's uh, tons of people in the streets, but it's a little teeny village, and it's late at night, and we're driving, and the people are barely getting out of the way, and we hit um, a bicyclist, um, but barely hit him, but enough that the bicycle gets caught in the wheel of the bus, and it knocks the, bus, the bicycle over, and the bicyclist and the bicycle get dragged for, like, 12 feet. And we're, like, a bunch of yogis in the bus that are freaking out, like, stop, this is terrible, and the bus driver just kept going. And we could tell that the guy was all right, um, and for any of you that have read Shantaram, you, you might know why, that, that we found out later if we had stopped, the bus driver would have likely been killed because there's no law in this particular part of the country that if you find yourself in a mob of people like that, it's incredibly dangerous. So, needless to say, when we arrived at the, in Rishikesh, we were totally shaken, and um, it had been a tumultuous adventure to get there. So finding ourselves in bed in our little ashram rooms that were completely white with linoleum floors and metal beds was like the four seasons. We couldn't have been happier. And so we all went to bed. It was amazing. And then the next day was a free day before the conference started the following day. So I just kind of took off by myself to explore and get away from the people I'd been with for the last two weeks. And, uh, Rishikesh is, is a, it's right along the Ganges, and it's up in the north where uh, the water still comes right out of the Himalayas, so it's clean and not polluted yet. Um, so it's really beautiful. And it almost has like an electrical, a tangible electricity to it. I don't know how to describe it. it it's, it's very powerful. And uh, there's no uh, gas-powered vehicles allowed in there, so it's just pedestrians or, or bicyclists. And it's just little footpaths. And I was out walking, and uh, there's vendors selling fabrics and jewelry and trinkets, and uh, there's monkeys and, and cows and sadhus, which are um, ascetics, which are basically um, people, mostly men, that have given up um, all material possessions in, uh, to live a life devoted to God. And their faces are painted, and they have long beards and walking sticks, and they just look so wise. Um, and I, they do. And uh, they're kind of speckled throughout the vendors, so it's just a feast for, for the eyes. So I spent a day exploring and uh, tasted some food and did my own thing and, and ended the night, went to bed, and ready to have a really exciting day at the conference the next day. Except I woke up and I, I was sick. I knew immediately something was wrong, but I went to the conference anyway, um, but made it through maybe 10 minutes before my face drained, and I was pretty much carried back to the bedroom and uh, my roommates helped me in there. And each floor has a floor attendant because, side note, uh, the ashram is also an orphanage where they take in children that off the streets that don't have a family and they give them education and shelter and food in exchange for their service around the ashram. And uh, the kids dedicate their lives to God. And so our particular floor guy, he was awesome. His name was um, Adesh, and he was about 12. And he wore all orange cotton pants and long shirt, and he just had the biggest smile. He was so ready to like, be of service, which was so cool to see a kid 12 eager to help other people. Um, 
And so I was put back in the bed, and he was bringing me cold towels for my head, and he was tucking me in with blankets because I had a really high fever. And I don't remember, it's kind of a foggy 24 hours, but um, at some point my teacher came in, and I remember him sitting over me saying a prayer. I remember another woman from the trip that was la- had laid crystals all over my body, and I, another woman came in and gave me acupuncture. Um, all this stuff, and I wasn't even compliant. I was just like, sure, you know. Um, but so all these people were doing all these things, and Adesh was there the whole time kind of being my caretaker. And the next day, I guess it was about 24 hours, I was really out of it. The next day I was better, but was told to stay in bed just to get my strength back. My strength back. And uh, so he kept me company and uh, asked me a lot about America and why I loved yoga and why I wanted to come to India. And in our conversation, I had mentioned how much I loved the harmonium, that instrument that I heard in that class a couple years prior. And he said he loved it too. And then he said, I'll be right back. And then it was like a couple hours because that's right back in Indian time. And uh, he shows up with a harmonium. And I found out later that he had borrowed a bike and rode two villages over to find a harmonium to bring it back to me. And I just remember, like, sitting in my bed, and he opened it up at the foot of my bed, and I don't even think he knew how to play, but he just started pumping the, the instrument and playing chords, and I'll never forget the look on his face as he, like, tilted his head back and closed his eyes and just began to chant this amazingly beautiful chant. And he was a 12-year-old kid. And he sang for, I don't know, a couple minutes and then closed it up and took it back. And it was just such a, a beautiful expression of kindness that um, I had never experienced anything like it. And uh, so a couple, maybe a day or two more, I was there. And then as we were packing up to leave, I, um, he came to say goodbye because we really had a connection And I told him, you know, I wanted to go back home and do everything in my power to come back and to adopt him and bring him back to America and give him a life where he could have an American life of freedom and um, things. And he looked at me and smiled and he said, oh, thank you, Miss Gate. But there's nothing that you could ever give me that I don't already have. And I remember, like, my life flashed before my eyes, that everything up to that point, I had based so much attention on appearance and things and, like, fitting into an image. My house was decorated with Pottery Barn, not like it matters, but everything was, like, perfect to, in some external space, and I had never really been exposed so purely and, like, deeply to this idea that freedom has nothing to do with the way that I understood it. It has to do from an inner space that each of us can only come to in our own terms with it. But it was a a teachable moment, as we say, as teachers. And uh, I left changed. And so I had a really long flight, a long bus ride back to the airport. um, And then another long flight home. And I remember spending a lot of time thinking about um, the difference between India and America. And that in my experience, and I know everybody has a different one, but um, India is chaos. It's, it's chaos in so many ways, but there's a peace that 
is in the center of it. It's in the center of the people that I met, and I don't know if it comes from just individual spirituality that seems to be present for so many people. And then compared to the United States, where my experience was so much goes into order and appearance, and so many people are miserable on the inside. Myself is who I'm referring to. And so how did we get it? How did I get it so wrong? So I went home, and it was about two months later that I wrecked my marriage like a bull in a china shop and then picked up my pieces and moved to Hawaii so I could reassemble my life in a way that made sense, in a way that... um, reflected the freedom that I had learned about from a little orphan boy in India who profoundly changed my life. Which, by the way, um, Adesh, when I later looked up as I was like, recalling my story, um, the Hindi uh, translation of that word means messenger. We hope you enjoyed this story of kindness. If you'd like to come out and tell a story like this one, or just enjoy the show, visit tellmemorelive.org. That's tellmemorelive.org, where you'll find a list of upcoming shows, submission and contact forms, and more Storyteller podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to Tell Me More Live.